Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 119. We'll continue our journey uh, through this longest chapter in Scripture. Uh, a love letter, if you would, to God's Word. Uh, a poem, uh, really, uh, about the greatness of God's Word. And that's what we just thought that would be a great way to start the new year and the, take the first few months of 2020 and just grow our delight in the Word of God. This morning we want to look at delight in the Word of God as the source of our confidence. We'll be reading uh, verses 1, uh, 13 through 1, 20. Here's what the psalmist says. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of God. Uphold me according to your promise that I may live and let me not be put to shame in, your, in my hope. Hold me up that I may be safe and have regard for, for your statutes con continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross, therefore I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles. For fear of you, and I'm afraid of your judgment. There was a, uh, a great battle that, that occurred about 500 years before Christ. Uh, it's called the Battle of Thermopylae. And uh, to make a long story short, there was a very few Spartans that were going up against a, a very large Persian army. And it's, it's said that one of the things that the Persian army said to them to try to intimidate them with their strong numbers was, our arrows are going to blot out the sun. Okay? So think about that. The arrows that we're shooting at you are going to be so thick, it's going to block the sun. And it's said that one Spartan warrior named Dynicus replied, Good, then we shall have our battle in the shade. That is it's pretty awesome, right? As, as a dude, I find that awesome. That they're trying to intimidate, and then the situation looks so intimidating, and yet, Oh, the arrows you're going to shoot at us are going to block out the sun. Then we'll, we're going to enjoy a good fight in the shade. That's confidence. That despite the seeming impossibility of winning the battle, you just still have absolute confidence and have, see a rosy picture of the situation. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at what Spurgeon nicknamed 
a section of the psalm that said, called it the midnight of the psalm because the psalmist was very discouraged. The psalmist was wondering how much longer he was going to need to wait for God uh, to show up and, and put an end to the enemies that were trying to end him. And his soul was downcast. But in, our, in the section this morning... It's more of that moment where the psalmist says, nothing's changed. My enemies are still my enemies. They're still launching the arrows, but I'm marching in the shade. This is a turning point for the psalmist, and things are much more positive for him, even really the rest of this psalm. His confidence had grown because he delighted in the word of God he was confident in the promises of God to him first I want to notice that he was confident had confidence concerning our uh, the word of God gives us confidence concerning our enemies from without the uh, the psalmist has some disdain for the enemies that exist outside of him. He says in verse 113, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. Doesn't it sound kind of harsh when we tell our kids, you're not supposed to hate anyone. And yet the psalmist says that he hates the double-minded. Those that are not of one loyalty. Those that are hypocrites and fence setters. The psalmist has disdain for those who are not sold out for God. But if we're going to question the harshness of the psalmist, I think it is only fair that we maybe need to also question our friendliness to those who are double minded. Do we, in our age of tolerance, and desire not to hurt anyone's feelings, act all too friendly towards those who stand opposed to God? Do we laugh off their sin? Do we refuse to speak the truth, desiring not to feel like we're judging anyone? Now, do I believe that our our best approach is to picket evildoers or to issue boycotts of businesses because they don't 100% align with our faith? Probably not the best approaches. But there should be a current of disdain for sin in our lives that drives us from sin to holiness. That drives us from an apathy about what's right in the world and and drives us towards speaking the truth and love about what is right and what is good and what most of all aligns with the Word of God. While he has disdain for the double-minded, he says here he loves God's law. He disdains the double-minded, but he loves God's law. And this is what he's realizing. This is what's giving him confidence is that those who don't 
trust God, those who do not follow God, and they are on shaky ground. They're double-minded. They're, they're, we know that the, the, the wisdom of the age it changes all the time. It changes yearly. And so he knows that his enemies are standing on very weak and ever-changing ground. But he knows that, that, that what he stands on, and that is the truth of God's Word, it is unmoving. It is something that he doesn't have to be double-minded about. He can be singular-minded about God's Word because God's Word is singular in mind. It is sure. It is the one thing that we can be absolutely 100% single-minded about. We see here that the psalmist finds his rest from from the fight in God and His Word. And and these enemies that are launching arrows at him. Verse 114, it says, he says this, he prays, You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Where is the psalmist gaining this newfound confidence from? It appears his enemies haven't gone anywhere. The princes that he's been worried about still plot against him. The flaming arrows continue to fly his way. And so how could he find so much more confidence than he had just a few writings a few sections ago? How could he rest when his enemies refuse to rest? Because he has learned to hide himself in God. God is his hiding place. He says, God is, he says, God, you're my shield. The, the idea of, of God as a, a place of fortification is, is throughout the Psalms. Here's a few examples. Psalm 31:20. You hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of man. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. Psalm 64, 2. Hide me from the secret counsel of evildoers, from the tumult of those who do iniquity. Psalm 143, 9 says, Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. I take refuge in You. And so the Psalms, along with with our section today, that calls God a hiding place and a shield, is just full of this idea that, yes, there's evildoers all around us, there's enemies all around us, but there's a hiding place in our God that they do not, they do not in any way threaten the safety that we find in God. Let me ask you, where do you turn when you feel under attack? Do you lose yourself in social media? Or TV? Do you seek the numbness uh, that the abuse of some substances bring? Do you sinfully lash back in anger? None of those things will ever bring safety. But God can hide you. God can shield you. God's Word will bring you hope. Amen? We see 
also that the psalmist longs for for distance from evildoers. Psalm 115, this uh, this verse 115, uh, it stands out because for a moment he kind of steps out of prayer mode. Throughout most of the psalm, he's always praying to God. But for a moment, he's going to speak to the evildoers, and this is what he says in verse 115. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of God. Depart from me, evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of God. Here he longs for distance between himself and the evildoers. So we, we need to ask ourselves, so do we need to just avoid evildoers at all costs? How in the world can, can we be salt and light and, and evangelistic people if we just seek to avoid all unbelievers or all evildoers? Well, I would say it's an issue of wisdom. There are unbelievers we need to distance ourselves from. The psalmist's enemies here, they don't seem to be you know, unbelievers that he could have a cup of coffee with. These are unbelievers that are plotting his destruction. They want to see him brought down. They want to see him go against God. That's his main concern. That's why he says, Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep my keep the commandments of my God. And so there are some, there may be some in your life who are militantly against God and against you loving God. They don't want to listen to reason. They don't want to even they want to entertain the thought that God may be real. And 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 maybe it's someone from your past that you find that, yeah, I, I keep contact with them or I hang out with them because I'm trying to reach them. But for some reason, when you hang out with them, it's always them reaching you, right? You always find yourself going back to those old patterns because of your proximity to them. And some of those people, there are people, there are people like that in your life, you may need to say, depart from me, I can't do this. At least, and maybe it's for a time where you need some time to strengthen yourself, and then maybe you can go back and, and try to reach them. But there are some unbelievers that are like that. These are the unbelievers that were in the psalmist's life. There are other unbelievers that we need to be cautious with. These are people that do not believe what we believe, but are, are willing to willing to be around us without seeking our demise or willing to be just be around us without hating our faith and our God. These are people that might be genuine seekers. And we still need to be careful with the philosophies that these people hold, but is it sinful to be in the proximity of an unbeliever that isn't necessarily doing damage to your life? No, those are the we've got to reach people, we've got to be around people. You're, you're not going to ever have a job 
unless you're a pastor or something, you're never going to be in a job where you're in the office every day with just all believers that love your faith and love your God. But I think it can definitely be said that our strongest relationships, those that we're closest to, should be believers that are pursuing Christ and helping us pursue Christ. Those should be our closest relationships. So it's a wisdom. Yeah, there are unbelievers that we may need to avoid and, and may need to avoid for seasons. There are other unbelievers that we do need to have relationships because they're just bridges that are happening that, that maybe we can share the gospel with them. And we want to love everyone, right? Even love our enemies. But our closest relationship should be with those who love God. But the psalmist lets us know that he's not just concerned with the enemy without, with the enemy from without. He is also concerned with the enemy within. Look at verses one sixteen and one seventeen. Uphold me according to your promise that I may live, and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. So we see here he has confidence concerning our enemy within. While the psalmist certainly has enemies without, uh, uh, without outside of himself, men who desire to see him fall, I mean, obviously there's Satan who it says roams around like a, like a, uh, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Okay, he's outside of us. And there we have enemies out there. Yet, the psalmist is also familiar that, that he has an enemy within. Yeah, the, the psalmist seems like a strong, dedicated man of God. If you, if you studied the previous section in the primer this week, um, you would see that it's a, it's a very section where he's saying, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to will this, or I'm going to make this so. So he's got all this, as long as there's all this willpower to, to really try hard, a lot of personal grit to try to obey God. Yet he knows that he's weaker than he should be. He has the potential to be put to shame. He has the ability to lose regard for God's Word. You know, Paul wrote about this. He called this, this enemy within, he called it the old man. The old man. That part of himself, that flesh that has not been fully put to death yet. It will never be fully put to death until glorification. He wrote about it in Romans 7, verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin can you identify with that 
that, that yeah, there's part of you that loves God and, and has been renewed in the Gospel and, and, and every day wants to, to be who God has called you to be, to obey His Word. And yet, there's this other part of you it's just not dead yet. And it's that enemy that's pulling you away. Paul knew it. We all know that. It's what Robert Robinson wrote that we just sang about a few minutes ago in Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Prone to wonder. To prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. So knowing that despite his best efforts and his mere will in his mere willpower, there is within him, in him an enemy that is against him that wants to knock him off, that wants to knock him off course of obeying God's word. What does he do? He leans on his, his dependence on God. In verse 116, uphold me. Verse 117. Hold me up. He realizes that if he's going to live, if he's going to live a righteous life, if he's going to be holy, it's going to be because God puts his arms around him and holds him up. Helps him to fight the old man. You see in the, in the psalmist we have this beautiful mix of determination and dependence one verse he's saying i will do this i will do that i'm determined to make this true but then oftentimes the very next verse he's crying out help me god hold me up he's not trying to to do it all on his own by some bootstrap theology neither is he tempting, tempting to totally go passive and say, let go, let God? He is determined to work hard in the responsibilities that God has given him and called him to through his word, but he's also determined to rest hard in the work of God on his behalf. This isn't a, a contradiction, by the way. This is biblical. Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God that's holding you up, allowing all that to take place. So that is the hope we have, the enemy within But then we see also not just confidence for the enemies without, confidence in the enemy within, but also confidence concerning our God above. It says in verse 118, You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is vain. It says they, that, that God spurns those who go astray from His Word. And we may think that's harsh. But is God not simply giving to those people what they want? Think about that. 
They are spurning God's Word. They're spurning God Himself. And so He just simply gives them what they want. They want no part of God. They want no part of the blessing of God. And so He spurns them because they have spurned Him. And the psalmist here, he calls them cunning. That, that there are these people that want to have it both ways. They, they want to give lip service. They want to say, oh, well, we're, we're following God, but then really they're just trying to put on a veneer. They have no intention of following God. They don't love God. They may say, oh, we believe in God, but then they go and they do their own thing. They go away from God. The psalmist is not buying all that. He's not going to let he's not going to let himself be fooled because God is not fooled by those who say who try to say oh, I I love God's word and then with their cunning they're disobeying it at every turn. He then says in verse 119, all the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your testimony. Those that choose wickedness are useless. And they'll be discarded as useless. Again, they will just get what they want. And yet, though the psalmist is confident that the wicked will be judged by God, he is certainly not overconfident that he himself will avoid God's judgment. We see here the one place where he still lacks confidence. And that is when he views himself before the mighty holy God. He says in verse 120, close out this section, My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgment. I mean, this is a man that we've, we're, we're preaching through this psalm because he's admirable. Because he seems like a man that absolutely loves God and a man that is absolutely determined to be in God's word and to obey God's word. This is the heartbeat of this man's life is to live a holy life before God. And yet, and yet, he says, my flesh trembles for fear of you and I'm afraid of your judgment. Now we might say, well, this is just that good old healthy, right? Where the Bible says, fear God. You know, that's, the Bible says that a lot. And that's what this is. But the, the words here are actually more like a horror. Okay, like this is a deep, see, this, this, this flesh trembles. It's a, a very serious display of absolute Sheer terror. But when, when examining the fate of the evildoer, should it not shake us? We think about the fact that many will be trampled by God into a Christless eternity. How should we respond personally? Cheer their fate on and say, better you than me. 
Say, bye-bye, evildoer. Or should we, in a sense, identify with them and think about what could be if we had not truly turned to God? In Jesus' day, there was a a tragedy uh, where a, a tower fell and there were these 18 people killed. And Jesus was asked about this tragedy. And Jesus instructs him, his disciples in how to react to this tragedy. And he does not tell them to say, hey, they got what they deserved. This is how he instructs them. Luke 13, 4. Those 18 on whom the tower of, in Salem fell and killed them. Do you think They were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus says when when you see the unbelieving die, when you see the unbelieving perish, your response should be self-reflection. It should make you think about yourself and your own sin and your own need of God's mercy. But I would also put forth that part of his struggle with confidence in this particular area is having the veil of Christ still, the the veil concerning Christ still laying over his heart, right? While he does realize that God's mercy is his only hope, he also lacks that final revelation of God which comes through Christ. He finds confidence in God's revelation through His Word, but that revelation is only giving veiled promises of the coming Messiah. The the psalmist was still waiting for the fulfillment of what has fully been been displayed to us fully and clear and that is the gospel the life death and resurrection of jesus christ this is what he had to look through with a veil to know okay god's mercy has to come from somewhere it just wasn't removed like it is for us And so this is where our final confidence rests. I want to again, I know I do this a lot. I think it's probably my favorite scripture in all the Bible. So I want to go there again. Hebrews 4, 14. It says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession." For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Get verse 16 here. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
we have an even greater confidence than anything that the psalmist knew at his time. And that is the full, clear, absolute revelation of Christ Himself. His life, His death, His resurrection for us. This is what gives us confidence before the Holy God. Not ourselves, not our works, the works of Christ. Folks, when we can simultaneously hold an unshakable confidence in our identity in Christ while maintaining absolute horror at what we would be and what we would face without Him, we have reached a whole new level of spiritual maturity. We can hold those, those two things, just the absolute confidence that I am God's in Christ. And then the absolute horror at what would be if that were not the case. That, that is spiritual maturity. That is life changing if you live in those truths every day. The gospel gives ultimate confidence. Folks, let all our enemies, the enemies of man that plot our demise, that roaring lion that seeks to devour us, and even that enemy still within us, let them launch all the flaming arrows at us. They won't. Even if they Launch, launch enough errors, uh, I'm sorry, enough arrows to block the sun. We will smile with confidence under the shield of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his life and death and resurrection for us. What a beautiful truth. What a glorious, life-altering, life-changing, daily confidence-giving truth that man, Satan, and even our own selves cannot separate us from the love of God because of Christ. He's our shield. He's our hiding place. I'm going to ask you to please stand as our musicians come. I ask you to please... Respond however God has spoken to you through His Word and His Spirit to respond this morning. Maybe you've confidence has been shaken lately. We take a moment to renew that confidence in Christ and God's Word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for the confidence that you have given me through your word, both through the written word and your word, Christ, that came and dwelt among us. God, there is much to be afraid about in this world. There's disease, 
there's war, there's personal conflict, God. But God, in you we have a hiding place. In you we have a place where we can find enough rest to smile on the hardest days. And thank you, God, for Christ. has made us your refuge which, which has made you our refuge God thank you for confidence that comes through you in Jesus name I pray Amen